Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Hi folks, um, hope this finds you well. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking, where I get to enthuse on two of my passions, film and music. And thank you very much for allowing me that absolute luxury. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And I hope that you feel rewarded this week because we have not one, but two guests on this episode in the shape of the wonderful Rob Marshall and Alan Menken. Rob has reimagined the 1989 Disney animated classic The Little Mermaid, whilst composer Alan Menken provided music for both. Now, of course, in the original, Alan worked with his long-term partner, Howard Ashman, uh, as they worked on a number of films together so successfully. And unfortunately, um, Howard passed away in 1991. Now, what's a beautiful story, which you'll hear Alan talk about, uh, is that someone who had such a beautiful relationship with the film came on board to work with Alan on kind of updating the lyrics and creating some new songs for the film. And that was in the shape of the wonderful Lin-Manuel Miranda. I saw this last week and I really, really enjoyed it. I think for many reasons, I think the new songs work brilliantly. But the most important thing about this film that I think is striking, powerful and necessary is the performance of the fantastic Halle Bailey. I think she is beautiful and powerful in the role of uh, Ariel. So I really, really enjoyed it. And listen, there's going to be plenty more from Robin Allen in a second. On their own, it has to be said. But before that, a word from our friends at Mubi. Now, Mubi are a film distributor who just really connect with some absolutely brilliant storytelling. Um, I want to tell you about season three of their podcast. It's called Needle on the Record, which dives into the unifying power of music and film and tells the stories behind some of cinema's most renowned needle drops. Moments where filmmakers deployed pre-existing music instead of an original score. And we've talked about this loads on this show, quite specifically with individual directors or composers who've had to work alongside that type of thing. It's a six-part mixtape for film lovers and each episode explores an iconic marriage of song and image that's become part of pop culture. From the 19th century waltz that launched Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey into orbit to the 80s cover song that Donnie Darko sent to the top of the UK charts. It's a very, very mad world. And in fact, I was lucky enough to feature on that episode talking about it. The complete season is now available. So listen, rate and follow wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's called Needle on the Record and it comes from Mubi. It's their podcast. It's called Needle on the Record. Go and check it out. And so to Alan and first Rob. And we'll begin with the opening cue from Rob's version as composed by Alan called Triton's Kingdom. It's so great to see you. I'm great. How are you? Oh, the better. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. How are you? Everybody's favorite. That's who you are. Honest to God. Oh, how are you? You walk in a room and everybody's so happy to see you. Oh, that's so kind of you. It's It's so true, though. It's so true. Well, it's been a few years. I know. I know. This one took a long time. This, well, took, this one took four and a half years. Well, they're, well, they're all worth <laughs> waiting for. You see, that's the thing. I hope so. Either. I hope so. Oh, um, <laughs> I just want to dive straight in because I know Please. your time is precious. Oh, sir, but it's love it. Genuinely, it is such a treat to get to go into a cinema knowing that I'm about to experience your kind of vision mm. and your collaboration and your craft. And the last time we spoke was for Mary Poppins. Oh, my goodness. Which I imagine for you feels like a lifetime ago. It does. But was that kind of, did you know even then that this was this was going to be the next project? Yes, yes. We had, we had started we started writing in the fall of 2018 and, and Poppins opened in the sort of December of 2018. Mm-hmm. So we had already started writing. Um, it was John DeLuca, David McGee and myself. We started working on this reimagining of this film. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was such a challenge because... First of all, <laughs> the how of it was, the, you know, but, yeah. but before we even started the how do we, how do you make this kind of film? We just, yeah. we, we, you know, I went immediately back to the Hans Christian Andersen tale. I wanted to understand where it all came from. And yeah. It was really fascinating to go back and read it. Um, it was, it's such a, a, a timeless classic story, but I also found it incredibly modern. It was really interesting. So contemporary, the themes of it, isn't it? I think so. So relevant to today. So relevant. It felt timely. I mean, this young girl who feels displaced, doesn't feel she belongs, sees a different life for herself, and isn't afraid to take this journey where she's learns to not be afraid of other people that aren't like her. Yeah. You know, and I have to say, as we were working on this film, in, in, in this sort of more divisive world that we're living in, it started to feel... Like an antidote to that. Yeah. You know, it felt like, you know, not being afraid of people that are different than you. Yeah. You know, and that was very, that was very powerful as we were working on it. 
Well, even kind of that end scene, which I was in bits uh, with, with the um, the merfolk. Yes. Is that the right way to refer yes, to them? Yes, that's exactly. As the, as the, and I'm not going to say any more for people who haven't seen the film yet, but there is a, a wonderful representation and unity. And yes. We're all the same. We're all the same. Isn't it's, that a lovely reminder? Yeah. That ultimately we're all the same. Yeah. So why are we so afraid? And... Um, so that was really that was really special to be working on the even though this took four and a half years to create. <laughs> yeah. I mean it literally the whole time there was something underneath it that yeah. was powerful to say. And that's what you can do in a live action in the live action genre. You can do that in a different way than in an animated film. But I think that, that you really get the sense of that of kind of like it's not about how we make this, it's why we make it. Yes. And yes. And so there's 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 purpose in everything then, it feels, throughout the Exactly. Film. It doesn't feel like sort of like a shallow exercise, you know. Or even the whole idea, you know, people question, why why would you do a remake of a Disney, a classic Disney animated film? And I think the only reason you do that is if, if you can actually reimagine it in some way. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and if there are the bones of something really special. It's why you, you do great operas over and over again or a great play or whatever. This is, you, you get a chance to look at it from a fresh perspective. Yeah. And this was exciting to say, well, how can we take this, the bones of this beautiful piece from 1989, literally, and how can we expand upon it? How can we deepen it? How can we give it a more, a bigger, more full experience, but also maybe even a more emotional experience? Well, you know, times change and, and you've really addressed that on so many levels, even, you know, changing lyrics within mm. existing songs, adding new songs. And, you know, that in itself you know, we talked a little bit about that with, with Mary Poppins in yes. terms of knowing when it's right to have a song yes. or a piece of music. Yes, I can't believe you remember that because that's so important to me. Yeah. I think when you're working on a musical especially, you really have to, and on film especially, the song has to be earned. It can't just be sort of gratuitous like, oh, we'll just throw a song in here. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it has to, f because, you know, we know that when you watch a musical on film, if you haven't earned the musical number, it's embarrassing when they start to sing. Mm -hmm. It should feel organic. Like it's just sort of like, well, they're speaking and then they're moving into song and it feels natural mm -hmm. because you're continuing the story or developing character in some way. And that's really, that's always my litmus test. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, it has to feel like it's organic, like yeah. it's natural. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful because <clears throat> in, um, for the first time, which is a new song yes. in the film, you have this wonderful, um, way that the story's told through, I mean, Halle's performance is extraordinary. The emotion she gets across in this film is, is so beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad. And in this particular song, that mix of, you know, it's her inner thoughts yes. it's to start with and with moments of yes. that. And then we get the kind of the seeing her perform. But you feel the performance even when she's not oh, I'm so singing glad. you on screen. Well, that was, you know, it was really, that was a little bit of a challenge. We thought, well, how can we give her another song? You know, in the animated <laughs> film, she has one song. That's it, just one. You're like, well, that can't be enough. This yeah. is the lead actor. We need more. <laughs> so, but, but then, of course, she loses her voice, mm -hmm. right? She gives up her voice. She makes a choice to give up her voice for this dream of hers. Yeah. And um, so we thought, well, we can use the technique of hearing her thoughts musically, her internal thoughts musically. But then there was a moment where it just felt like in the song we needed to see her actually sing and so we go to a surreal place yeah. and now she's singing and then of course we come back to reality slam back into reality and she has no voice yeah so she can't really speak and that made that more dramatic ultimately that she can actually communicate to him and so she's lost that's when she meets 
Eric, you know, yeah. and it's like, so now she's lost that opportunity. And she, there's a beautiful lyric that Lin-Manuel wrote, which I love, which is realize the price that you paid with your voice as he turns from you. So it was a price. She realizes like she's a teenager, you know, yeah. they make impulsive decisions for things that they <laughs> <Yeah>. want. <laughs> and she does, you know, and learns from that. Realize the price that you paid with your voice as he turns from you. Those sacrifices you made were a choice that you can't undo. Lost for the first time. For the first time, gravity feels like an undertow pulling me You mentioned Lynn, and obviously he was in in Mary Poppins, brilliant in Mary Poppins. Was did you have the conversation with him then about being part of this team and work with Alan, or when it, did you that- know that that could sort of happen a little later? I mean, it was it was perfect. It was the synchronicity was great. Mark Platt had been on this film and asked us to do this. Yeah, and um, it was his idea to bring Lynn on, which we were thrilled about because now you have someone you know very well, mm-hmm. a friend. And, and also a, a brilliant lyricist. But the great thing is that Alan Menken, who is just divine to work with, um, he's such a natural collaborator and he was obviously excited to work with Lynn. Yeah. Lynn has such respect for Howard Ashman's work, the original lyricist who passed away yeah. in the early nineties. So the fact that he had that respect and wanted to pay homage to, to Howard's beautiful work, but also help us develop this film, it just felt like so organic. So, when we were all in a room, you know, collaborating is the key to musicals because it's, you know, it's the, where the scene ends, the song takes over, and the, yeah. it's all one. So it was great to be able to do it together. It's And I didn't realize that the this the original film has a real special place for Lynn as well in terms of it was a real catalyst for his the start of his journey. I, I mean, really. I think he's, he'll say yeah. to you that this is the reason he's a songwriter. Wow. This specific musical, because it was the musical that he watched over and over again as a child. Oh, wow. I think a lot of people did yeah. that. I think it was watched over and over. It's like one of the first VHS tapes that was out there <laughs> for people to watch. And it was, that's why it's so beloved. And so it, it, so that, that's why he couldn't, he had to pinch himself that he was actually working on this movie. What beautiful circle of life. Full circle. To quote Disney again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, I, my brain kind of goes in overdrive as well because I'm so intrigued and, and interested in the journey and the creation of mm. these wonderful films and stories that you tell. And, you know, you mentioned collaboration, but also, you know, what needs to come in what order yes. for things to be able to, and the music Music has to be there so early on, I imagine. Yes. Well, stories first. Yeah. Story first, story first. You know, you have to tell a story. I mean, it, it, sometimes you can lose yourself, especially on a film like this, so technically challenging that you sort of lose the story. It's like, no, no, no. The, everybody just wants to be told a story. Yeah. And then that's the, and without that, then there's nothing. And so that was the mantra for me the whole time I was working on this movie. It was so complicated technically, but I didn't want that to lead 
anything. I, it needed to be the story and the characters and the acting and all of that had to be there. And I didn't really want people to see how hard it was. You mm -hmm. know, it's like a great Fred Astaire dance. You don't want to see the seams. I don't yeah. want to see that they had to put on this rig or that wire or this would or how to, how to, it's, it's, you should just believe it. You yeah. should just believe it and go with it. Yeah. And you absolutely do. And, you know, I, just from reading about it and, and, you know, the, the obvious thing is going, how do you do the underwater stuff? Yes. And, and I was kind of like, oh, it's, it's, but it's, it's, what is it called? Dry, but wet or something? Yes. Or wet, but dry? Yes. yes wet, yes. but dry? But, it, yeah. It's, it's dry for wet. Dry for you wet. Know. There we yeah, go. exactly. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it's, it's, um, we realized obviously we're going to be playing scenes, singing, yeah. so we couldn't be really underwater. Yeah. Um, there's somewhat underwater material, but it's mostly when Eric is underwater, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And obviously when we are above the water, when we're in water for like the shipwreck or even when, when Ariel's hiding in the water, but that's all real. And yeah. that was mostly done in Sardinia where we filmed all of our exteriors, but, um, and some of, and, 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 and Pinewood in this tank with yeah. these massive wave machines and things like that. But, you know, we actually had to, thank goodness we had all the prep that we had because, we had to actually start with storyboards to understand how we were going to do this and then move into what's called pre-visualization, which is almost like a little mini movie. Yeah. So we know how the camera would move and how the actors would move. And then we would communicate that to our stunt team and to our camera team because they had to, it was like a dance. The whole thing was a ballet. The whole film was like literally a ballet because the, every actor had a stunt team with them, like eight or 10 people yeah. moving them on crane arms, moving them around, floating them, spinning them, all that kind of stuff. It was so insane. And they had to sort of work with each other as the camera moved. Sometimes I would literally <laughs> call action. They'd be on one certain rig. And then I, there'd be two lines and I'd cut and then we put them in another kind of rig, like something else, wires. Now they, something they can only do where they flip or they sit or that can only be done on, 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 on wires. I mean, so it was, it was done in like a mosaic, almost little pieces. But because we had had rehearsal prior, we had all this time to find the scenes. Yeah. And block the scenes and all that kind of thing. So everybody, everybody knew what they were playing so that it didn't become a technical exercise. You know? That's amazing. Yeah. I loved reading, hearing Melissa McCarthy talk about, I mean, Ursula, I think in terms of that side of things, it's a huge undertaking and how, how yes. fluid it is and how, how elegant she is, you know, in terms of the creature being what it is. Yes, yes. Um, and I loved her describing it as if she's always fallen off a bar stool. <laughs> well, because she's kind of playing that yeah. kind of character. <laughs> yes, but so the great, right. she's so physical. I mean, she's so fearless, number one. Yeah. I mean, just fearless. We put her in rig. She was throwing herself. She had, she kept telling her, the people on the rigs, like, move me quicker or faster and flip me. She wanted to really move. And um, that was incredible. I mean, you know, when you're doing a musical number, Everything has to be done to beats too, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. a lyric or something. And so it was, it was really unbelievably challenging. But I, you know, the great <laughs> Melissa, I made sure that she had uh, her tentacles, like she had literally had like a little harness on and we had dancers each playing her tentacles. So they would puppeteer her tentacles. So she would have a sense of how much space she had. Oh, wow. So, and we could have the tentacles do things like touch Ariel or turn Ariel's head because her tentacles were a part of her. That's so she would know how much space she was. And these, these massive tentacles that she has, they wow. were, all, but she literally had eight dancers around her working all the time. 
I mean, she just wants to take that forward in life and have fun with her <laughs> she all said day, she, every day. She, you know what she said? She said, I really want to take this on the road. I want to go to, I want to play Caesar's Palace and play Vegas and have like my yeah. tentacles with me. Adele, out you get. <laughs> exactly, Melissa's here coming. we go. <laughs> Melissa and her tentacles. <laughs> oh, I'd buy a ticket for that for sure. But the casting, and, and again, this was something we talked about with Mary Poppins, is you cast these brilliant performers and actors and you allow them the ability to to not just in, inhabit and, and tell the story through the character, but influence the mm. character in a mm. way as well. And I feel like you've done that again with this, particularly with Aquafina and <laughs> and um, and David as well with Sebastian. I mean, just genius casting. And Melissa as well. You know, you talk about story being first, but then when you've cast, yes. what is that kind of journey mm. from that actor being part of the collaboration, mm. I guess? Well, my goal as a director is to protect the actor, make them feel safe mm. so that they can try anything, yeah. not to feel judged, don't feel judged, you know, so they can actually just try anything, yeah. you know. And so David, when you have great creative minds like David, like Aquafina, like Melissa, you want them to be free to experiment and try things. And, 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 and that's the goal, I, you know. And especially when you have a technical film like this, I, I thought, oh, goodness, how do we do it so that they do feel the freedom? Yeah. Because that's where the gold comes from, right? Mm -hmm. The funny little thing that will be said. Aquafina just said to me the other day, she goes, I can't believe you use that one thing. She goes, uh, she, she does this one little thing where Sebastian grabs her and says, are you listening to me? And she goes, yes, sir. <laughs> that she just, you know, she just, oh, and, and she was like, yes, uh, like sort of like Valley Girl. And she said, I can't believe you used that. And I said, are you kidding? I love all of the gold that you, and you know, I feel like sometimes I'm like a, I don't know, I'm l looking for the gold, like an explorer, like, you know, literally trying to find all those beautiful, really special moments. And the great thing is because we had rehearsals yeah. in advance, they all feel like they're there, yeah, and they feel like they, they and and then when they then we start to film or start to record, they feel free to try things because yeah. they already have the basis already there, you know. And what were they like in that recorded environment? Because <laughs> I am I right in thinking you wanted to give them that big experience of yes. you know, with the orchestra and well, what was great was in terms of just recording the voices like Aquafina and David, yeah. we actually had the real actress, so we had Javier and 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 Hallie and and you know this is with Jacob too sitting right there so they could play oh, the scenes that's so unique not just not in some old some space with with somebody reading a line they were playing the scene that's so de no one no, no one does that I know I, I don't understand why I mean it's like well they're going to be in these scenes they have to play those scenes so it just felt like a natural scene where you're just capturing yeah um, and then, in, 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 and then I will say, you know, when we got to the songs, mm. I mean, what's interesting about the songs, people say, are they singing live? Is it, are they singing? I said, well, first of all, A, it should always look like they're singing live. Yeah. It should look like it's happening right there. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they are singing live. I record them singing live. But even when they are singing to themselves, they're singing. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm hearing them sing. Yeah. They're just singing to a track. But they're actually singing. Mm. So it should all look completely real and uh, alive. And I mean, I will say with Melissa, for instance, you know, and, you know, people that, you know, even Hallie, everybody, when you're singing with a hundred piece orchestra, you know, there's nothing like that experience, you know, mm. and to especially someone who's new to musicals, you know, I mean, to have that moment where you're singing, it's incredible. Yeah. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty they weren't kidding when they called me, well, a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended 
mended all my ways. Repentance in the light and made a switch. True. Yes. And I fortunately know a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor fortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner. That one wants to get the girl. And do I help him? Yes, indeed. Those poor fortunate souls, so sad, so true. They come flocking to my cauldron, great spells, I say, please, and I help them. Yes, I do. Do you still get a kind of buzz? Always. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like. I mean, we were at Air Studios, which is such a stunning studio, and you're in basically an old church. The acoustics are so magnificent, and you know you have this full orchestra playing, and it just brings it to life in a way you just can't even fathom. Yeah. You know, and I think it just lifts everybody to a different place. Mm. Um, you know, it's just it's really special. Um, we mentioned Harley earlier, and she's just. I mean. Talk about someone who just kind of lights up every scene she's in. She's just got this amazing, amazing presence. Mm. Um, how did you find her? How did you was was that journey to finding your aerial? Was that a was it a long one or was well, it you know, it's interesting. It was long, but it was short too. It's a yeah. funny. It's a funny combination of things. She was the first person we saw for the role. Wow! First person to walk in. First person. Came in, said, would you like me to sing or read? We said, whatever you like to do. She said, I think I'll sing first. She sang part of your world. <laughs> she shut her eyes and started to sing. It was so moving. I was in tears by the end of the song. I just thought, I turned to John, to Luke, and I said, John, have we found Ariel, the first person out of the gate? <laughs> and we had. We just didn't realize. Yeah. And then we saw everybody else. Mm -hmm. We saw every ethnicity, everybody uh, there was no agenda to cast a woman of color. Yeah. It was just, let's find the greatest person for this role. Yeah. And then we saw everybody. And she kept coming back and back and back. But she set the bar so high, so high, mm. that no one surpassed it. Yeah. No one surpassed it. And then we did a screen test with her. And it was just so clear, you yeah. know? We sent the screen test to Disney. Bob Iger, within moments, said, yes, of course, this is her. This is Ariel. And it was a leap of faith because she hadn't done a big film, but we needed somebody young. She needed to be so many things. She needed to have that beautiful voice, but be strong and vulnerable, passionate, but somewhat kind of wide-eyed, almost otherworldly. Yeah. It was this crazy combination of things she needed to be. And she had it all. She had it all. How 
how much did the the kind of cast and going back to that whole thing of when things happen but in terms of when when Alan and 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 Lin-Manuel were working on songs and working on arrangements and things like that was that all done before casting or did 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 the, the cast influence any element of that because I was so yes. brilliant to hear about David and you know and, and for Sebastian finding that he wanted to find this specific Caribbean dialect yes. and things like that you yes. know and Given him that opportunity to do that and stuff, but with the yes. with the music, because it all just feels so so right for all the characters and you know for the different cues. Well, it's interesting. Songs. It's it's always a little bit of a combination. We already sort of had targeted where we wanted songs, but then as we started to cast, and we, the first person we cast was Hallie, and so yeah. and then you tailor make it for her and her strengths. Yeah, you know that's what was helpful, and then you then you're writing with her in mind. Mm-hmm. Aquafina was cast before we wrote Scuttlebutt um, because, you know, we thought, well, let's, she's so creative, so wonderful. And so let's, she and David could do the song yeah. together, you know. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. You do a little bit of work ahead of a time, but yeah. then, and, and sort of, no, but then you start tailor making it once you start casting. Yeah, because that Scuttlebutt is just, it's, it couldn't be more about those two, really, and just embody them, really, in a way. Well, it's funny, you know, when you have a new song like that, and it replaces a scene, Mm -hmm. Scuttle comes in and always gets everything wrong. But what's fun about the sort of patter rap song idea with that is that she talks like that anyway, the character, right? And always getting everything wrong. It's sort of just kind of like all over the place. And so that kind of quixotic nutcase kind of speaking is something that that feels natural in that kind of song yeah you know so it it, it but it has to you, you know it can't feel applied like we were saying before it has to feel organic to the piece you know she would naturally talk like that anyway and it yeah. just turns into a song hey wake up wake up wake up what have you not heard the scuttlebutt? Your no, the gossip, the buzz, the who said what, who does that? Yeah, the scuttlebutt. Well, I was flying over land and seeing ear to the ground. Then I came flying here for you to see and hear what I found. Remember the swamp? Remember my song in the swamp? And I was like, wham, chicka, wham, wham, chicka, wham, wham. I remember. Well, ever since, the what's his name, the guy with the hair and the shirt? The prince. Yeah, the prince has been dropping hints. He wants to, you know when humans dress out nice like they're penguins? Throw rice for the pigeons. They're trying to blow up the pigeons, but those are just urban legends. I know a lot of really fat pigeons. Well, you just listen, Sebastian. I got that scuttlebutt. Hurry up. You'll be like, why? When I drop that scuttlebutt. Okay, now huddle up, buttercup. From the women who wash all the clothes to the hunter who arrows the bows, the chatter all over the palace is that your prince Eric is gonna propose. What? To somebody nobody knows. They're saying he suddenly chose. Who? Who? He's like an owl. Owl. Bet it's the kid with the new set of toes. No. Oh, Anything goes, who never guess? Our little Ariel's marriage material type of the rice and the dress and the what do you call it? The thing with the lips when they press. I don't have lips, I have a beak, so I guess I could give you a peck on the cheek. I don't believe it. Say, you're awfully quiet. Well, that's the kind of beautiful fluidity of things is kind of almost you don't even realise whilst you're watching where the songs end and start. Well, that's the goal. Thank you so much, Edith, because that's the goal. I never want people to feel that moment where you feel like, oh, that feels awkward. They're saying, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. horrible. I hate this movie. You know, it's sort of you just want them to feel like, wow, this is part of the storytelling. Yeah. You know. 
How was it for Alan going back? I'm going to be chatting to him in a minute, actually. Oh, I'm looking lovely. forward to it. Just, you know, was there any apprehension of him kind of going back? Because this wasn't the start for him, really, wasn't it? Little Mermaid was, yes, it was, was the, the start of yes, his journey. Yes, I mean, he and Howard had done Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. And I remember so clearly in 1989, I was doing theatre at the time. I was yeah. doing Broadway. And I remember so clearly how excited the community was because it was really the return of the musical. Yeah. Musicals have been gone for so long. And here there was an actual musical on film. You know, although it was animated, it was still people sort of like breaking into song. And so that was really exciting. And I think, you know, he was learning. I mean, obviously it ushered in this incredible era of great animated musicals yeah. from Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, et cetera, all these. And, and, and he was at the forefront of that doing sort of a proper, almost Broadway style film yeah. musical. In a way, I always feel a little connection to it because I think when my first film, Chicago, came out, I feel in a way it kind of opened the door for that film. Yeah. For people to accept a live action musical again, once again, you know, because it took time for that to sort of be something that was accepted. And boy, was it accepting. <laughs> boy, was it accepting. The, um, but just in terms of kind of going back, but being given the opportunity to, to update things as well for him, you know, yes. in terms of the, you know, whether it's the, the musicality of things or what were the kind of conversations you had with him about, you know, the old score? Right. And what, what came yes. through and what didn't come through? And if anything, you know, what? He, the, he, he's so open. Yeah. In fact, in a way, I feel like maybe I was even more protective of the work than he was. He was oh. ready to start again. Yeah. You know, let the, he knows this is a different genre. Uh, I knew the, obviously the musical numbers we needed to really hold on to, but there were musical numbers that just wouldn't work in a live action film, mm -hmm. like Les Poissons, an example. There's like a chef that's chopping up, trying to like, you know, get this crab. It's, a, it's, it's a departure from the story, number yeah. one, but it's also a, sort of an animated concept that this little crab would be running around. You know, it's almost like Saturday morning cartoons, and it would never work in a live-action film. It would, if, we, if we had shot it, we would have taken it out. So you have to remember that. I mean, I, I know a lot of people hold on to what they, you know, that film, that, but it's sort of like, no, you have to be really smart. You have to actually approach it as a live action film. And that's what he did yeah. with us. And he was, he was just so open. Mm. That's what's so great about Alan. You know, he, he's just open to working and writing and changing and, and, and making it work in, in a different way. His enthusiasm is infectious, isn't it? It really is. He's just easy. You know, I think that's why he's so successful because he serves the film. He yeah. serves the filmmaker. He serves the story. He's not precious. I loved, um, 
hearing you in an interview talk about the idea that that the journey that you've been on as a filmmaker, ever, there's been so much along the way that has led you to to the skills that you've learned to be able to make mm, this, yes. and that you've needed that journey to be at this point to be able to make this. Film. Yes, I don't fair? think I don't think I could have worked on something this visually complicated, you know, with the visual effects, uh, unless I had had all the sort of experiences I've had up to this day, like the Pirates of the Caribbean film that I did, or even Mary Poppins Returns. Those are very visually effects heavy. Yeah. And I thought, mm, you know, it really, it, without that basic knowledge of how you do things, because this was, I mean, when you think about <laughs> underwater, that every strand of hair is being added, every, the water is being added, the backgrounds, yeah. the fish, the vegetation, the, the tails, the costume, I mean, everything's being added. So you have to trust that. I mean, it's all designed in advance, obviously. And I know what it will all be ultimately because, you know, I could actually on my monitor almost see the set if I needed to see how it was going to look. Yeah. But there's a trust and there's a sort of a, a language that you've learned over the years of how this can work and how it can be integrated. But, you know, it, I could never have done this movie two movies ago. I would have been lost <laughs> because we were doing th- this is like no one's ever done this before. Yeah. You know, there is no movie that's been made like this, even underwater musicals from like the 50s, like the Esther Williams musicals. You know, there are production numbers, but she's holding her breath. The swimmers are holding their breath. There's no songs being performed <laughs> under the water. So it was, it was, it, it, I mean, this movie I don't think could have been made um, until now mm. because of the technical aspect of it, but also because of what's the, you know, the incredible um, sort of, uh, I guess, what, we, what we've been able to yeah. accomplish over these years with, with visual effects. And the idea that someone said as well, you're almost making three movies, or you're making it three times, you it, know, it's it felt the kind that of way. the pre-production, the filming, and then the post-production yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. It was three movies that way, but it was also three movies. I felt like I was making an on-land movie, you know, with <laughs> yeah. a castle and that kind of thing. Yeah. Then I just felt like I was making an underwater movie, you know, like that whole movie. And then I was making a musical at the same time. So it was those three. And then exactly what you say, you have three different families. The prep on this was so massive. Yeah. It went all through COVID. We prep, prep, prepped. Wow. We kept prepping all the way through. And then making the film, which was the longest shoot I've ever done, you know, I think it was like 115 days. And then, and then after that was this post-production, which took two years. Because wow. Two years. Because of every little thing being added. You know, like a, like a musical number like Under the Sea. There's one live actor in that. The rest is all digitally created. I mean, we choreographed every second of that with our choreographers, with John DeLuca and myself, coming coming up with this concept of working with the Alvin Ailey Foundation to yeah, create I w- that. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Because this yes. is extraordinary. Well, what happened was I took a little page out of the playbook of Walt Disney himself. Hmm. He had worked with the Ballet Russe uh, when he created Fantasia. And I thought that was such a brilliant idea. That he worked with a ballet company so his animators could work as, uh, from Anna, uh, dancers and use that as a template yeah. to play flowers or whatever, yeah. mushrooms or whatever, you yeah. know. And so they needed the, that form, the human form to work from. And I thought, well, we should work with a company. And I thought of the Alvin Ailey company. I thought it was a perfect because they're so beautiful and, and, and they, they could transform into these creatures. You know, we were, we were, we had chosen all these different creatures that lend themselves to dance. Yeah. I mean, Actual sea creatures like a feather starfish or a jellyfish or seahorse, seahorses yeah. or, you know, mimic octopus, flatworms, all these crazy things that we had learned about, you know, 
and did a lot of research about what were the natural creatures that would look lend themselves to dance. Wow. And so then what we did was we then had the Albanelli company replicate their moves. Like how would they move like that creature? Then we choreographed them. Then the CGI animators had all that footage to work from and were using their bodies to create this musical number. And there's wow. a there, there's a moment when there are I, I would I, I would say almost close to a thousand different uh, it's in the finale. There's a moment in the finale of the song where th- you literally have s- all these cr- sea creatures in one frame. I mean, it looks sort of natural, which it should, but it's all <laughs> but it, it's all choreographed. Every little step is choreographed. Wow! It was insane. I mean, I've done some production numbers in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, but that was. Like, how do we begin? How do we start this? I have one live actor. Like, how are we going to create this? So it was storyboards, pre-visualization, the dancers, our wonderful choreographers who helped us organize this, Tara and Nicole and Joey Peasy who choreographed. It was like this, it was a, it was a, it was a serious dance. You know, I never thought we'd get that one done because it was the big pinnacle. Yeah. And so when when we finally when that was finally done, it was we probably finished it really maybe just about four weeks ago. Wow. I know because every little yeah every little fin every little look every little you know tail had to be right. Okay, okay, listen to me. The human world is a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got going on up there. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things surround you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better. Don't wear it wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore they work all day Out in the sun they slave away While we devoting full time to floating under the sea It's so seamless and brilliant oh, so and glad. emotional and brilliant I mean, and it's kind of still new people seeing this So it's very exciting to hear that, thank you <laughs> Well, I can't wait to go and watch it again now After knowing all this um, Congratulations, it was oh, always a pleasure, sir Oh my gosh, you're just thank the best You, you so always much. are oh, I hope you know you. that That's very kind of you No, it's just the easiest thing to say You're thank in your you. own league
from Rob Marshall's Little Mermaid that's Finale by Alan Menken bringing us to the end of the first part of this soundtrack and special and we move on to the legend that is Alan Menken and we thought we should start with a cue from his original score Flotsam and Jetsam Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's so great. I know. It, I mean, thank you. <laughs> I mean, thank you. No, you But I, you know what? It's because it's, it's Rob. Mar- I look at it as Rob Marshall's um, triumph. Oh, it's a team effort. Yeah. It's, it's a great I was moment. just there to, you know, to help things along. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, because I, I wondered when the, the idea was presented to you, was it a kind of immediate yes, I'm in? Or was there ever any kind of... I don't know, because it's, it's gone right back to where you started pretty much, yes, isn't yeah. it? It's way back I mean, again. Yeah, after the, the live-action you know, adaptations of Beauty and yeah. Aladdin, I knew that it was, ine- a, it was inevitable. <laughs> yeah. and, and knowing that it was Rob Marshall, that was a, a major yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, then comes the period of, okay, so what's going to be the approach? And, yeah. And what's it going to be like to work with a new team? And they were great to work with. And so, what and did you hope the approach was going to be? What did you hope that this project was going to give you the opportunity to do? Well, I hoped that Rob was going to be as Rob is, true to the musical theater, if you will, yeah. roots of the Little Mermaid score, true to Howard's and my intentions. Yeah, and I, and I, and. Sk- tremendously skilled at getting into and out of songs and mm. and setting the stage for how the songs are going to land. And what was really, you know, one thing that was really special among many was the way he, he held off on it being a musical, feeling like a musical right from the top. Yeah. That it had that almost live action kind of opening and that we won't really break into a full song until part of your world. And it's so effective because it builds up in anticipation. It it really roots you in this world that's larger than life. Yeah. And did you know that you were going to get the opportunity to to create new songs? Because obviously... Yes, yes, I I knew that was going to be the case. And and certainly having Lin-Manuel Miranda as my collaborator... Was I knew it was going to be a new and a really exciting experience. Yeah. Did you know about his history with the film? Did I know? <laughs> okay, so Lynn went to Hunter School, as did Bobby Lopez, who, yeah. you know, from Frozen, Frozen and yeah. 
Book of Mormon, and as did my niece, my, my, my sister's daughter. And so I would hear constantly, <laughs> my sister was always telling me, about Lin-Manuel Miranda, Lin-Manuel Miranda, this little boy named Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's obsessed with Little Mermaid. Could you sign this? He has a question for you about this. Always that little boy, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who was obsessed with the movie. So I knew very much his passion about it. Then years go by, and there is this new show, In the Heights, written by a man named Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I said, that's that kid. So, wow. yeah, so that we, we, you know, we finally met at that point because he was just, you know, a little boy I heard about. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I knew about the history. It's not a beautiful circle. Oh, it's amazing Isn't circle. Isn't that? It's just wonderful that he gets the opportunity to work with you on this film. And vice versa. Yeah. yeah. What was that kind of, that first day, you know, in my head, I have this kind of romantic notion of you both arriving in a in a lovely space and then sitting down and kind of working well, together. Was we were it- in my studio. <laughs> but first, we had a meeting at, at Rob and John's place with David McGee, the book writer, and we just basically went through, first of all, Rob's concept for how, how he wanted to adapt the book with yeah. the songs in it. Um, and the work that in terms of structuring the story, preceded me coming on board. I, and it was natural. The director wanted to have time with, with the book writer to shape his, dramaturgically, his yeah. vision of where the, what songs from the original we would leave in. And then where are the spots for new songs? And so we had that meeting. We spotted three, four, I, I, I think it was three or four, maybe a fifth, you know, just playing with, where we might have songs and that you know over time it evolved to the three songs that remain yeah um and so lynn came to my studio and you know we started with wild uncharted waters okay that was the one that's much obviously more in my wheelhouse and what i originally did with howard what we did on the broadway show lynn, lynn was on the le- least uh you know um sure ground on that he was a little intimidated by that yeah but not show it, it's just he talked about that. Because Howard is kind of legendary to everybody and can be intimidating. All I ever wanted was the open sea and sky Freedom from the life I always knew Now all I am is haunted as days and hours roll by All I ever think about is you there you are over me taking me with your song to wide uncharted waters miles beyond the sea i was darkness bound i had almost drowned till you came around and you found me now i am on the shoreline but I'm still lost at sea In these wild uncharted waters Come find me again Next song was um, For the First Time, which is very much a, a marriage of us. Yeah. Um, I gave him a tune, which actually was a variation of some of the underscore from the original animated movie. 
タラタタタタタラタタタタタタタタ。Yeah, you know, it's in a, in a triple meter, right? Yeah. Lynn said, love it, but could we put a two again? So it's that. Against a two, a two against a three feel, which is very Latin and very rhythmically、uh, infectious. And then, of course, it, it reaches that point at the end where she's not only seeing all these exciting things for the first time, but also experiencing heartache for the first time. So there, it, it goes into more of a ballad kind of feel、uh, at the end. And then the third song was this scuttlebutt, where I just、so、I gave、good. him a piece of Caribbean music, thinking he would set that that music. You know, it's the lyrics to that music, and in fact, he kind of rapped over it, which was amazing. It was、yeah. it was absolutely, you know, so surprising and completely disarming. And also, the way that Aquafina delivers it as well, it's just and for the character, it's just yeah. And, and David, amazing. yeah, that's the thing is, and I think that that's the wonderful thing is that everybody's of is from talking to Rob. There is just that. Collaboration, you know, everybody's allowed to to be involved and to smooth、oh, yeah. things over, and and that's it's so wonderful because you feel the characters through the performance and through the song. Yeah, their real energy, their real personality.、It's、yeah, yeah, and I do. I think about, you know that song is obviously going to be very popular. <laughs> yeah, and when I go in public and if I perform, I like to perform. You know, the, some of the songs from the movies. That one will be. I mean, incredibly hard for me to perform. I'm there, Alan. I've seen this before, so I'm there for that one for sure. I'll try. De- I'll try. I mean, those lyrics—it's so fast, <laughs> and you can understand all of them. And it's just so. The only problem we had in, in the in the premiere in L.A.、Yeah. was at the at very end of the song, you have、uh, the, the, the covers on the bed fall over. Um, uh, Scuttle and and Sebastian, and you hear Sebastian say,、um, uh, "Scuttle, you're too close," <laughs> which I thought <laughs> by the, the audience was applauding so much that you couldn't, couldn't hear, hear the line. We go, oh. That's what I loved about watching the film the other day was the the audible response from the audience. Oh, you you saw it? Yes,、yeah, no, I saw it here in the UK this oh, week. Oh, and the so it had the same response. Oh, the laughter and the kind of there's just I mean there was so much anticipation and excitement for seeing this,、yeah. both from you know existing fans of it and new generations, little people in there excited to see it, and everybody finding you know that point of humour, that point of emotion throughout the whole film. Yeah, it was so brilliant and physical to feel in that room. Yeah, yeah. it was really special. Yeah, when you were thinking about how 
to approach the, you know, Rob was just saying that you were all ready to kind of start again with regards to the score. And he's like, no, 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 no. So much of the original is, you know, we have to have that voice in this film. But when you're thinking about how you want to reimagine it for this version, you know, there's there's beautiful references, cultural references in there as well. And what what was that kind of thought process for you in terms of the musicality of, of well, the score I, elements? I mean, a lot of it is just getting to know the cast and the, their interpretations and their performances and then tailoring any changes to that. You, you know that there's a certain amount of the original score, quite a, a lot of it, that people are married to. They, yeah. they will be disappointed if it's removed. But you also know that if it's simply, you know, it's sort of a cut and paste, yeah. then it does, it's not a fresh experience. So, it's really kind of just a a um a matter of um the proof is in the pudding. First I got to see the pudding and then I'll play with it. And um the changes were small, but they were important and and they some some were in instrumentation or orchestration, some was based on a different a song interpretation by the singer. Uh, Hallie for instance will hold out notes maybe a, a bit longer. And that's great. I mean, it just we just bathe in that in that style. I'm trying to think. Uh, there was a there's a dance break, at, you know, in quotes, <laughs> in, in Under the Sea. That you know, let's see what Rob and John want to do. Yeah, and then support that. Kiss the girl is kiss the girl. You got because we're gonna pull, but but watching them in this live action movie pull from the what, the bamboo. Yeah. Uh, sort of just the wind blowing the bamboo yeah. to each other and creating the rhythm and then, you know, little insects, the strings. and uh, It was just gorgeous. Percussion. Something about her And you don't know why But you're dying to try You wanna kiss the girl Yes, you want her Look at her, you know you do Possible she wants you to Use your words, boy, and ask her if the time is right and the time is tonight, go on and kiss the girl. Sha la 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 my oh my, it look like the boy too shy, ain't gonna kiss the girl. Sha la 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 la, ain't that sad, ain't it a shame, too bad, he's gonna miss the girl. Hey, pull it back, Scott, pull it back. <laughs> The technology and how Rob and his team have been able to, you know, under the sea, for example, in terms of there being, I think he was just saying there's there's one live action actor in, in that scene where everything else, and it was just astonishing to hear that journey. But how did that, and the performances of people like Hallie, who's extraordinary in this film, inspire and influence you in terms of 
you know, what you're providing around them. It's how important is it for you that side of it of seeing things? Well, it's funny. It, I often use this metaphor that you know I'm, I'm like an architect. Like I'm designing a house, and the house is the score, not the song. Although the song can be its own little mini out, but I'm designing a full structure for these songs to tell the story. And what you want when you do, you know that you create a blueprint that will work in an animated. So if you bring it to the stage, obviously it's a different, you have to have an act break, but it works on stage mm-hmm. and it works in this context. So I really do basically entrust um, into, the, into Rob's hands and into Mike, Mike Hyam, who was our, our music supervisor and producer on this. I entrust this into their hands to interpret it. If something rubs me the wrong way, I'll say something. Yeah. But I, I do try to, you know, sit back and just be supportive to the vision. Same thing with the underscore. Rob had a very specific idea of what he wanted with the underscore. And that's great. That's fine. I just wanted to make sure that I threaded the themes into all the, those sort of total choices in an appropriate way. That was a lot of work. But with Rob, you, you, you know, you're going to get very, very sensitive and, and detailed feedback. Yeah. I know that the father-daughter theme is is particularly has, has always been particularly strong for you in in this for, story. For, uh, any, yeah, yeah, any and, father. And the cast and the performance of the two actors in in this version just poof, kind of heightens that tenfold. Yeah. It's really Javi's amazing. I mean, God, having him as your dad would just be. And we had a song for him. Did you? Which even was was recorded and filmed. Yeah. Um, for reasons of. Just the greater good of the yeah. film. It's not in, but people will have a chance to see that. Oh, great. Um, it's called Impossible Child. Oh, wow. And you get the sense of the power of that storyline from you with that, what I call, what did I call it? The, the big cuddle. The big cuddle? <laughs> the big cuddle. The big cuddle cue, yeah. At that, at the, you know, at the end. Oh, at that, the end. Oh, my God. Oh, that had me. I was like, and it's because of your music that it, kind of that crescendo of it just kind of, it elevates you. It kind of gets every hair on your body standing on end. Yeah. Well, not because of my music, but I, my music does contribute to that. <laughs> yeah, it does, definitely. Thank you. But in terms of that that storyline and that part of it and that particular piece of cue, score, underscore, score. Well, yeah. that's the easy because I'm there you're being very thematic. Yeah. It's not a matter of, the you know, the, 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 the ones that are really hard are action-adventure cues <laughs> or things that are very nuanced and scary or whatever. There, you can't just lean on theme. Yeah. There, you have to go for a lot of, of, of very small moments musically. Um, just letting the emotion flow is, you know, you, you, when it works, you know it works. It's very clear. But even there... You know, Rob will have notes, and they're great notes. And yeah. I, you know, when I, as I as I watch the movie, barely a second where I go, "Oh yeah, this is where Rob asked me to do this." And yeah, and the the, the scene as well with the merfolk when you when it's such a oh, it's such a powerful moment in the film. Just when you see this yeah. whole kind of you know, we're all the same. We're all, you know, we we can we can all be on this earth together and look after each other. It's got, and I just think that the messages within the film are really resonated in that particular... Yeah, I know. That particular scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I was lucky enough to watch a school production a couple of weeks ago of um, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. 11-year-old kids who were performing that show and just... I wanted to ask you about the kind of how, for you, seeing this, seeing that, your music and the stories that you've told through your music that have this wonderful power to influence and inspire new generations of of storytellers, really, and whether you get a second to kind of think about that. And- I do. I do. It's You can only take it in so much yeah. because it's not good for you to take it in too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's astounding to me, to, to be honest. Sometimes I try to wrap my head around it. And, you know, part of it is, you know, the genius of my late collaborator, Howard Ashman. And I, I definitely think about that a lot when I watch any of our the things that we wrote together. Yeah. And I also, I think of these, all of these songs and all these things that I've written as children, as my children, and my children grow up and they go out into the world and then they're out in the world. And I know I'm very proud of you, my children. <laughs> um, but people do make it their own to a degree and I like that. And... You know, where it comes from, I don't know. You know, the um, I was born just loving music and having a, a, a really good barometer for what works. Yeah. So once something has actually reached its final version, it has been through a trial by fire inside of me. So I know that it, that it works. And your kids have been coming back to visit you and asking for more help. That's been so great. Isn't it? They've left home. They've come back again. <laughs> they need dad again. They need dad. <laughs> dad, can I borrow some money? Oh, oh, that's all. These are. Um, yeah, I guess in a way they do, but really, they're getting much more guidance from from let's eat from Rob, Rob Marshall, or from the music team. And I'll sit back and and just sit back and love it, like a proud parent. Hmm. And there are, t- there are places where I will step in and do what I do. But with something like this, this is coming around for the third time, fourth. I mean, it's been in every medium. I like to think I'm smart enough and sensitive enough to just st- sit back and mm-hmm. say, you guys, you handle that. You know, in, in the case of, have, of working with actors, I don't really want to get into the room with them for quite a while. Yeah. I want them to have a real comfort level with the music team and make it their own. Great. Don't, I'm not there to breathe down their necks. Yeah. And then at the very end, maybe I'll give a note or two, but they've already been, you know, had the chance to work with the best professionals and come back with a performance they really believe in. And I love it. I just, I really want, what I want to do then is to support that performance. Do you still enjoy that element of being in that room and seeing those worlds? You know that that recording happen of the of the orchestra and the yes. and the and the, the the actors performing those yes it's, those songs because it's, it's amazing I've heard the Melissa for example in this one was kind of just like I don't ever want to leave this is the best thing ever yeah I know yes we were here in London at Air Studios beautiful beautiful studio you've been there yeah and yeah for, it, it, that moment where the orchestra is playing the actor gets goes out there we're all standing out there. I mean, it's p- partly a photo op, <laughs> and it's also a little bit of ceremony. But then you go back into the control room, sitting, and got that glass, and and the singer goes into the ISO booth, and we just 
you know, go for that performance. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. You know, when it, if there's a problem, it can be a tense moment in trying <laughs> to fix it. But, you know, God, you know, thank God I, every time we've done that, it's been a, you know, wonderful success. So. Does everything start on the piano for you? Yes. Isn't that wonderful as well to, for it to start there, to then have it grow into this? I mean, I imagine that must be the most wonderful feeling to be in that room and physically feel those musicians. Yeah. Embracing and. The, well, what happens when the orchestrator knows when I do certain figures, they'll go, Oh, I'm not going to actually do that figure verbatim because what Alan is intending here, you know, if I'm doing on the piano, because piano is a per, more basically a percussive instrument, that's a long held string line. So there are just certain elements that an orchestrator knows to interpret in this way. But yes, the piano is the basic touchstone for the beginning of it, of just about everything I do. I hope you keep doing it for a very, I really hope you work with Lynn again as well, because this, what you've created together for, for this film is just, it's, it, you know, it enhances something that's already brilliant, but but yeah, I hope. We could have more, but. Yeah. If not, I would say this is enough, no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for your time and congratulations, Alan. It's a real treat to get to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. score to Rob Marshall's live action remake of The Little Mermaid. That's Vanessa's Trick by Alan Menken. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Rob and Alan. My huge thanks to both gents for taking the time to talk to me. I had a blast. The Little Mermaid is in cinemas as of this Friday and I highly urge you to get along and see it. If you want to hear my previous conversation with Rob or indeed any of our 370 episodes we have in our back catalogue, just head to edithbowman.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Actually, do you know who else is up there? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack UK. And our YouTube channel is awash with extra content for you to get your teeth into when my internet allows me to upload the files in time, which I promise I'm working on. Uh, Next up, um, not totally sure who our next episode's going to be because we are slightly giddy in the fact that we have a lot of very exciting guests, some recorded already, some that I'm working on this week. So make sure you join us next week for another episode of Soundtracking where we dive into the world of film and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 